0: You're listening to What Book Hooked You? I'm Brock Shelley, and thanks for listening. This is episode 60, and in this episode, I talk to Gwendolyn Clare, whose debut release, Ink, Iron, and Glass, comes out on February the 20th from Inprint Books. In this conversation, we talk a lot about how much books within the fantasy genre influenced Gwendolyn and inspired her to write Ironing glass so listen in so Gwendolyn, what book hooked you
1: well my earliest memory of being really enchanted by a book was actually a picture book it was of one of the old school hans christian Andersen stories uh his version of the little mermaid uh which got really sterilized um in the popular imagination uh but in the original one it's a story about how if you give up all of the important things that make you who you are for some guy you just met, it feels like walking on broken glass and then he never notices you and you die. Uh, And that was just so radically different from the kinds of stories that we usually tell young girls, many of which are focused on the importance of finding a husband, basically, um, which is you know, a concern that is really strange that we indoctrinate girls so young to think that that's the most important part of their life. Um, but there was this other one story that was just radically different from that. Um, and so it's, it's interesting in my mind because my, my love for this book is so also clearly linked to my first experience of genuine hatred for disney um that uh that experience of of reading something and then seeing it destroyed um was really formative to me as a young child
0: yeah and i think we often kind of forget just how crazy or just violent or dark some of those nursery rhymes are not nursery rhymes but tales are like Cinderella, I think it's the stepsisters like cut their toes off in order to try yeah. to get into the to the uh glass slipper. So when you're reading this one uh the little mermaid that tale, was this a time were you about what age do you think that you came to that book?
1: Um oh, I don't know. I guess I guess it would have to be five or six. Is that about when people start reading on their so, own? So I'm not sure. <laughs> Young and, enough that I don't really have a clear memory of when it was.
0: So now you mentioned how Little Mermaid was uh, just the message that it has. And obviously that's so much different from what the movie that Disney would later put out. Uh, did that kind of stick with you when you did eventually see that movie? Just the discrepancies for how females maybe are depicted and little girls in the messaging uh, in certain books and movies, uh, how it kind of twists things into making them the beautiful, flawless princess with a happy end ever after at the end.
1: Yeah, and I think that um, that awareness of that discrepancy stuck with me as a consumer of literature for my whole childhood as well. Um, So I... A little bit later, uh, in sort of middle grade years, or what at the time would have been called juvenile fiction, one of my favorite series was Patricia C. Reed's Dealing with Dragons, uh, which is another series about a princess who decides she doesn't want to be a princess, and she goes and becomes a housemaid for a dragon instead. And so uh, I kept looking for stories about female characters who were uh, not fitting that mold.
0: And so throughout kind of growing up, was books always a very kind of important part of your life. Were you always an avid reader?
1: Um, I guess I have two different quest, two different answers to those questions. Those questions are slightly different for me and they aren't for everybody. Uh, books were always a big part of my life in part because everybody in my family are big fantasy and science fiction readers. And so there was always a constant supply of them. I had an older brother who was always reading as well. Um, so stories were definitely always around, and uh, my parents were very supportive of um, spending time on story. Uh, but I also had an undiagnosed reading disorder, uh, so I was actually tested for dyslexia when I was young, and my parents were told, "And eh, it's probably nothing, it'll go away developmentally, we expect. Uh, and it never really did, and so I always had this strange relationship with reading where it was very important to me, but I also found it difficult and so and intimidating sometimes so my brother would be reading you know the big fat fantasy doorstop books and uh, i was really scared of them because i was afraid i was never going to be able to actually get through to the end yeah i guess the, the answer is a little more complicated for me than it was for most people but it was always a big part of my life and a big part of what i was thinking about as a kid
0: and was there any point in time you know it's you were kind of uh there was a barrier there uh because of your dyslexia, was there ever a uh, an enlightening book or a moment in which you kind of were able to realize that you were able to get through some of those those thicker, bigger books, or are books that before may have been intimidating?
1: Actually, yes. Uh, so the author who got me over that hump of reading um, shorter length books to sort of what we would consider adult-length books, was Anne McCaffrey. Um, So say what you want about, you know, girls being obsessed with dragons, uh, but the fact that there were three short books in her Dragon Riders of Pern series which were really intended to be juvenile books, and then everything else she wrote in that world were adult books, so if I wanted more, I had to start reading full-length books. Um, And I actually remember clearly that that was... That was the series that did it for me.
0: And did you find that all of your the books and the things you were into uh, were always sort of fantasy related? You know, we've talked about, you know, dragon books and The Little Mermaid is fantasy. So it's always been sort of in that genre?
1: Uh, fantasy and science fiction. Yeah, that's what. Um, so my, uh, my mother did also encourage me to read some of the classics when I was a kid. So um, those were around too but what I read by choice was um, consistent with what was most available, and that was the fantasy and science fiction. Um, So for a science fiction example, the first book that I can remember just really blowing my mind as a kid was Ursula K. Le Guin's The Lathe of Heaven, uh, which is not uh, usually when we invoke Le Guin, it's to talk about either Left Hand of Darkness or The Dispossessed. But uh, The Lathe of Heaven is this Um, short really incredible book about um, one of the main characters when he dreams he actually changes reality and so the characters are trying to change the world to make it better Um, and they end up failing in all sorts of interesting ways. Uh, So it was a book that really opened my eyes about a lot of new ideas and also about what science fiction was able to do as a genre.
0: So as you were sort of entering these worlds uh, through these different books. At what point did you kind of take a stab at kind of creating your own stories in your own worlds?
1: Um, I was definitely writing stories uh, voluntarily for fun in grade school. Um, I didn't really think about doing it seriously as a career aspiration basically until after college. I was very focused on having a different career. Uh, so I'm also a scientist. And I, um, I always had sort of the idea of writing in the back of my brain. And it was something that I enjoyed doing, but it was always taking a backseat to the career that I was trying to pursue.
0: Did you find that uh, in college, uh, when you're studying, and, and as scientist, I'm sure he, it's a lot of biology class, a lot of, uh, you know, different, different higher level, lots of intense kind of study uh, at that level, uh, did you find that you were able to still carve out time to, to read and stay up on books?
1: I really didn't. Um, I double majored in the sciences. So I, I majored in ecology and then also geology, and that pretty much took up most of my time. And then I ended up taking a year off after college, basically because I hadn't had time to do my grad school applications. And so I had a year off. I had some free time for the first time that I could really remember. Um, And in addition to just working part time in a lab, I realized this is my chance to actually take writing seriously and figure out how it's done at a professional level and uh, study what other writers are doing right now in contemporary genre fiction Uh, and that's when I started getting back into reading not just for pleasure but reading with an eye towards trying to figure out what they were doing technically
0: and do you remember what those books were that you were reading and sort of analyzing in a sense
1: Uh, one of the first ones that I picked up right after making the decision that I was going to do this was uh Werner Vinge's um Deepness in the Sky um which I think partly influenced my love of um, weird but very well-realized aliens. Uh, So I write a lot of short fiction that has aliens in them that I think is influenced in large part by Vinci's work. Um, The other author that I got into and just read a ton of was Elizabeth Bear. Uh, So I read a ton of her short fiction, uh, went through basically her whole backlog of books that she had published up until that point, Um, and more than any other author, I think I learned how to write by studying how she writes.
0: So what was your goal then as you're, as you're going to kind of take a stab at writing, uh, and you're looking at these books and trying to model different things and take different parts from it, was, uh, your goal to be published or just to kind of see how far things could go? Or was it more just this pastime, this break from, from eventual grad school?
1: uh no it was so i started out writing short fiction and my goal at that point was to sell short stories and so the the first story that i wrote i sent off to a magazine and um it's i i'm really glad that that editor ended up retiring if only because now nobody is currently working who could possibly remember that awful story that i sent to them um but, yeah, no, once I made the decision that I wanted to learn how to seriously do it, I was looking at trying to sell my short stories. That was the goal.
0: And so you're starting these short stories. Uh, at what point or how long does it take you to kind of beef that up and, and work towards full-length novels?
1: Um, well, I I wrote short stories and then started publishing short stories for um, – several years before I actually started writing novels. And then I wrote and um, queried three different novels prior to the one that actually got me an agent and is being published. Um, so for other aspiring writers who are out there, you frequently can only see uh, the the side of the story, which is the success at the end. Uh, but I promise that Everybody else who is a published author has the same experience of you of struggling and failing, uh, repeatedly and, uh, needing to hone your craft. And also, uh, in addition to figuring out how to write something that is high quality and marketable, just finding a way to get the right thing in front of the right person at the right time, there is just an element of chance involved.
0: Was this, throughout your journey, did you, uh kind of plug into any sort of writer's group or community or was this all just kind of trial and error as you uh, were sending short stories out and eventually sending these uh, novel manuscripts out?
1: Oh, no, I I had a lot of help with this. Uh, So I started out in the online writer's group Critters and I uh, was in that for maybe a year or two, basically until I got to the point where I felt like I wasn't getting enough useful critique, I was getting too many compliments out of them, and so I needed to level up to another um, group of critiquers, and at that point I found some local writers and then also the online uh, writers group called Codex, uh, which is a group of uh, sort of neo-pro writers, so people who have had at least one professional short story sale or have gone to one of the major writing workshops. And um, that's another place where I got both a lot of support and a lot of information about the business side um, and some help with critiques and how to really level up your writing.
0: When you think back to when you first started writing uh, and f- attempting to do this uh, until you know the first one that got sold, which we're about to talk to, do you kind of see how maybe naive you first were to it all when you first started out?
1: Um, in some ways, I was naive. Uh, I was pretty good about doing my homework in terms of figuring out what I what I didn't know and needed to to learn in order to be successful about it. Um, So I think I avoided some of the pitfalls that are common to new writers, Uh, though I will say that the first um, the first novel I wrote was a vampire novel because I hated Twilight so much. And I just felt like it was, it was the fire that I needed in order to uh, write a book that was really like a response to all of the thematic things that I didn't like in that book. Um, So at that point I was, I was reading a lot of other YA and so that's why I ended up in uh, young adult literature in particular when I switched from short fiction to long fiction. Um, But yes, I am guilty of writing a vampire novel.
0: And so when you made that switch uh, from writing, we'll just say adult short stories uh, more towards YA was what books were influencing you within the category of YA?
1: Ooh. um, I read a lot of Holly black and a lot of Scott Westerfeld. So those were two authors that I connected with pretty consistently.
0: And so uh, from your short stories, from your trials with uh, the different novel manuscripts, you finally found one uh, that stuck with the right agent, so on and so forth. And that's uh, Ink, Iron, and Glass. that comes out February 20th from Imprint Books. So as we start talking about this, can you give me first the synopsis of what the book's about?
1: So the book is about mad science, basically. It's a steampunk book, and it's set in uh, late 19th century Italy. Uh, In this world there's a branch of science called scriptology where you can um, basically write down a new world into a book and it becomes a pocket universe that you can actually go to. Um, So it's kind of like computer programming except you do it analog, handwritten, and then it's an actual physical world rather than a virtual world. And so the main character is actually a resident of one of these worlds and she becomes uh, trapped on earth with no way back home after uh, her mother is kidnapped. So she's trying to find her mother and uh, sort of solve the mystery of what's going on there and also try to find a way back home uh, against a backdrop of sort of complex politics that's going on in Italy at the time.
0: And so, what was sort of that initial idea that got you started thinking about and eventually writing out this book?
1: The book that's the heaviest influence directly on this that you can probably see in the writing is uh, the comic book Girl Genius by Phil and Kaya Folio. Um, and it's a series that I really love because the scientists are focused. So, frequently in steampunk, What we like about steampunk is all of the cool gadgets and stuff, but the people who actually invent the cool gadgets are frequently relegated to villain status. Uh, They're not the heroes, and so the, the thing that I really loved about that comic series that I wanted to take and play with myself was that the scientists can be heroes, they can be villains, they can be anything on the spectrum. Uh, they can be people who really don't want to get involved and just want to do their science in private. They can be people who think that science should be, should be used for the benefit of society, um, because I see all of those ideas among real scientists in the contemporary real world as well. Um, and so as much as I love Mary Shelley and I love Frankenstein, I think it did a real disservice to scientists in that it set up this theme of scientists as crazy evil villains
0: and so uh, because this is a fantasy and, and there's obviously a lot of world building or, and maybe in this sense even several worlds building how did you sort of approach that uh, did you do sort of a lot of planning and like what are the laws and what is kind of the environment and the political system in your sense of this book or did it kind of come to you through the writing process
1: Uh, Well, I I got to cheat a little bit. Since it's in a historical setting, there were all sorts of pieces that I didn't really have to decide on because I'm borrowing heavily from actual European history. Uh, I did have to decide on things like, okay, since I'm introducing all of these new scientific disciplines that can do a whole lot more than science can in reality, um, there have to be explanations for why history isn't more different And I also had to decide in what ways I wanted to break history and make it different so that that it is an alternate history in comparison to what actually happened.
0: Because you're a scientist uh, by trade, we'll say, uh, was it sort of just a happy marriage or just a natural uh, inclination that your story uh, would be heavily influenced by the sciences? Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, well, it certainly wasn't coincidental. You know, I wanted to write a story about characters who are overly analytical and think about solving problems in analytical ways, because that's what I am like as a person. Um, so it, and it also, especially because it's for young adults, I wanted to write a story about, um, teenagers who are really into science because, uh, I think we need more stories like that to hopefully inspire people especially young women uh, that that's a, a valid career choice though in some ways it's actually it actually creates challenges that maybe wouldn't be there if i just had a magical world because um you want the science to be exciting and you also want it to feel a little bit realistic but in reality science often takes a really long time and has lots of really boring steps where you're doing tedious things over and over again uh, in order to get to the exciting part. Um, And so that sort of tension between the realism and trying to make the science seem cool and exciting uh, was a difficult thing to deal with and to figure out exactly where the line should be.
0: As a writer, who's also a scientist, do you see that uh, the two are very kind of separated aspects of your life in that you do uh, your your lab work, your research, things like that, and then maybe writing when you have the time to do that is sort of a, a relief or an escape from uh, those other things that are more technical and fact-based and driven in that sort?
1: I would say that they exercise somewhat different parts of my brain. Um, but I would say that I approach writing still in a very analytical, technical sort of way in comparison maybe to how other people think about it. So um, I guess I am who I am. And the the intellectual toolkit that I have is what I take to all activities. Um, there are some things that are different about writing and that there's there's a fairly large component of it that just kind of happens in your subconscious. And sometimes you just need to let things cook uh, in order for your brain to come up with the right solutions. And that's not really um, how thinking works in science. So that would be one difference.
0: And what is your writing discipline like? Are, do you carve out a certain time every day? Uh, is it something you have to kind of wait on the weekends for? How do you find the time uh, to write these stories?
1: Um, well, at the moment, I'm struggling to do that because um, so so I've I've really been sort of switching wildly back and forth between uh, which of my careers I'm paying a lot of attention to. So I took a couple years off and was writing full time. I'm back now to teaching full time. Whichever one I'm doing, it's difficult to find time for the other one. Uh, So frequently, you know, we'll talk about work-life balance, uh, especially in academia, trying to find work-life balance. For me, it's more like I'm trying to find work-work balance (laughs) uh, and maybe failing to do that. So right now, I am usually just writing on weekends. I would love to get to a point where I can write a little bit every day. I think that would be a better way to do it for me. Uh, but there just isn't time.
0: And so uh, this book is uh, coming out February 20th, uh, Ink, Iron, and Glass. As you, as this kind of uh, goal, let me start that over. So Ink, Iron, and Glass comes out February 20th. Uh, this is, you know, you mentioned this is the fourth book that's a full-length manuscript that you've written do you look back at some of those uh, first three attempts and do you see sort of a clear difference as to why this one uh, was the one that, that did it for you?
1: I think there are some differences in terms of my maturity as a writer and my abilities as a writer. Certainly Um, probably the big difference is just that it was a a meaty enough concept. Um, So the, The setting is unique. The world building is unique. And so it was as a package, something that was maybe easier to sell.
0: So we started our conversation talking about The Little Mermaid uh, and the difference between the fairy tale to the movie uh, and just the portrayal of uh, the mermaid in the story. uh, And that, you know, it was a little bit darker message than than what the movie ended up portraying. When you're kind of creating your stories and your characters, how cognizant and deliberate are you with uh, how your messaging and the portrayals of your characters come off?
1: I try to be very aware of that. Um, I, I don't think there's too much risk of me falling into the trap of writing female characters who don't have agency or are overly worried about what the male characters are doing. Um, Because I I think as a woman who is not overly concerned about what men are doing and who has agency, it's not too different from who I am. Uh, So I'm actually more concerned when I'm writing about um, making sure that portrayals of my characters of color, are um positive portrayals or portrayals of my lgbt characters are positive portrayals um so i think there are there are plenty of axes that you can fail on and um i think our job as authors in part is to try to fail less um or to try to fail as as little as we possibly can um so that our readers can uh have characters that speak to them and that um, don't tell them negative things about what their life should be like.
0: Absolutely. And so when you're writing, do you find that you, uh, just as you started off when you first were starting to kind of get serious about your writing, that you're still, uh, looking for books to inspire you to kind of inform uh, your own writing Uh, as you did when you had that break and first decided to concentrate on writing?
1: At least uh, when I'm drafting a novel, I do try to tailor the books that I'm reading so that they are things that are going to make me come up with ideas that are useful for what I'm working on, rather than ideas that would be great for a different project, which is not the project I'm supposed to be working on. Um, So if I'm, you know, if I'm reading a whole lot of you know, high fantasy set in secondary worlds. I'm going to start having ideas about books that I would like to write in high fantasy secondary worlds, uh, which are counterproductive if I'm supposed to be on task for a particular thing. Uh, so that's that's ideally what I would like to be doing. In practice, I do have a lot of reading that I kind of. Uh, need to do for industry purposes uh, to keep up with what's going on or uh, books that my friends have written that just came out that I need to read. Um, So I don't always succeed in fulfilling that goal, but I do try.
0: All right. So a few questions sort of as we wrap up. The first one always is, what is your favorite movie that's based on a book?
1: I guess I would say the... um, the version of *Sense and Sensibility* with Emma Thompson, uh, the old school movie. Uh, it's one of the very few uh, romantic comedies that I actually enjoy, and um, it was just, you know, beautifully acted on the part of everyone. So there, there's one heteronormative thing <laughs> that I think is good.
0: Are there any? Fantasy movies that you, based on books that you think have done a disservice to the book? Oh, so
1: many. That's why it's so hard to come up with one that's your favorite, because uh, so many adaptations are just terrible. Um, In part because the the lengths don't really match up well, so a movie is really, the amount of story that you fit into a movie is a really good match for a novella it's a really bad match for a novel especially a long novel because there's gonna you're gonna have to tear out a whole bunch of stuff in order to fit that plot into two hours and so you know how that adaptation happens is it's really difficult um you know so the An example of one that totally fails would be the adaptation for The Golden Compass, uh, where they very clearly had a long list. You know, these are all of the characters and these are all of the events that we have to hit in order to make the audience happy. And it was just like a checklist of stuff that happened and it had no feeling of coherency as a story or, you know, feeling of story arc happening. Uh, And I think that attempt to stay too close to the original source material when the source material is really not something that's going to fit in a two hour long movie, um, that's what kills movie adaptations. Sure. So let's, let's all cross our fingers now for wrinkling time.
0: <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, next question then Is there a notable book or series uh, that you have never read that you're willing to admit to or have never finished?
1: I held out on Harry Potter for a really, really long time. I have now read them, um, but when they were first coming out, and everybody was reading them, my attitude towards it was like, "Well, yeah, I've been reading fantasy since I was seven years old. <laughs> like, I'm glad for you that you have figured out that it's cool, but this is not new." Um, so that's that's one that I. It took me years to break down and actually read. Okay.
0: And then finally, what is the last great book that you've read?
1: Ooh, the last great book that kept me up late into the night because I couldn't put it down uh, was *City of Brass* by S. A. Chakraborty. Uh, It's a wonderful, wonderful book about a um, an Egyptian thief who gets taken away from home from her home in Cairo and. sort of dumped into this magical world of the city of Devabad where all of the jinn live and the characters are just incredibly well drawn and the world building is great and it's one of these stories where the conflicts are really complicated and there's no clear good and evil and everybody's just trying to do what they think is best but nobody actually knows how to solve any problems um, so it's a really delightful book and I lost a night of sleep to it.
0: Sounds great. Yes. And hearing uh, the author, when we when I got a chance to talk to her, just the amount of research that was kind of her passion going into this, uh, you, I think it really shines through in the book. So Yeah. Well, Gwendolyn, thanks so much for uh, spending the time to talk to me. Ink, Iron, and Glass comes out on February 20th, and I wish you all the best with it. Thank you. And that does it for another episode of What Book Hooked You?, Special thanks to Gwendolyn Clare for joining me. Her book, Ink, Iron, and Glass, comes out on February the 20th from InPrint Books. So be sure to check that out. And check out some of the 59 other episodes of the podcast. I'm Brock Shelley, and until next time, keep reading.